0: Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com and by RockAuto.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Tire Rack. Thank you, Rock Auto. And thank you, Alec Webb. And welcome, everyone, to MotorWeek Podcast number 146. Around our unusual shape table at MotorWeek Central in Studio C, we have writer-producer Brian Robinson. Also unusually shaped. Hey. Never gets, oh. gets a <laughs> Our online content coordinator, Patrick Lucas. Hello, John. And our assistant producer, Greg Carlos. Hey. And on the telephone. Live from Florida, FYI reporter Lauren Morrison.
1: I promise I'm not on the beach.
0: (laughs) Or wearing (laughs) flip-flops. We have a lightning round, a viewer question, our rant and rave section later. But first, okay, we're at another milestone with the series. Um, We have show 3601. Our new season is starting. This is our 36th season on the air. What is everybody around the table, and Lauren, chime in. What do you think are, you know, over the next 12 months, what do you think are going to be the hot topics? Is there any trend in vehicles that is going to pick up? What do you think people should expect from a new season
2: besides watching me lose more hair and get older? <laughs> no. um, I'm hoping by the end of the se- season that cars will just be driving themselves. One year? Um, yeah, we won't have to participate at all. We'll pretty much just let them do their thing, mm-hmm. take some notes, and um, run it through a formula. And put out the road test. Won't well, that you know, be exciting? Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be great. We'll just, send, I a, hope yeah, you're just send
3: the car out for testing and Maybe let the car do itself. Yeah, I
4: right. this is the year for teleportation. I think people will finally figure it out. Cars is no cars longer are done, necessary. Yeah and we are, uh, yeah, well, out of a job, but at least I don't
2: need to pay for a car. That'll be what happens. Is like by the time they got the canals built, the railroads were done, and they were useless. So by the time they get <laughs> autonomous driving <laughs> figured out, we'll be teleporting, right. and they'll be like, oh, we wasted all this money on autonomous driving. That's funny. That's I don't, a, that's I don't see point, any reason yeah. to
0: bring this back into reality. Patrick, you're just sitting there <laughs> laughing.
3: Uh, I can't go any more extreme than that. Um, if I have to bring it back down to reality. Um, I you're, do think... Autonomous and semi-autonomous systems are going to get, if not a lot more competent, then a lot more prevalent. I think we're going to start seeing them pop up in cars and brands that we didn't expect to.
0: What do you think about this new trend, um not so much new, it's been around forever, the auto cycles, the three-wheelers, that now they're trying to get all the rules changed so that they classify as cars. These are vehicles that have two wheels in front, one in back, one or two people, have a steering wheel rather than handlebars. Many states, like our home state Maryland, require a motorcycle license, but they're trying to get them changed to get where a regular driver's license would be sufficient. We've tested a couple of them. do you think that's
2: do you think that's a trend or is that just a hiccup in the market? um I wouldn't call it a trend by any means It's always going they're always going to be there, but they're always going to be a super small portion uh, of the market. I don't really see it being a trend. I think you know I was doing some research on that. you mentioned the topic they most states do classify them as motorcycles, but since uh, Polaris came out with a slingshot, which is really just a three wheel mm-hmm. car, they've been gone. Uh, above and beyond trying to get governments to change regulations to get a, cause so you don't need a motorcycle license or wear a helmet. And most states are going with that. You mentioned Maryland is good, getting ready to announce that that's the case. But I think they need to be careful what they're wishing for because. Motorcycles don't require any crash testing, obviously, whereas cars do. Yeah. So you know, if you want these things classified as cars, you're going to have to start doing a lot more testing. Can you imagine
0: more, something like uh, a slingshot with energy-absorbing bumpers and front ends and all that stuff yeah, on it? Yeah, they're it, not going it to increase the, the weight yeah. Yeah. exponentially. A yeah. um, Lauren, anything that you think from your looking at you know the vast consumer um, landscape that's going to catch their eye this year? I think? mean, I
1: think like everybody said, you know, autonomous vehicles. We, you know, we've been trying to work on a, a, an FYI piece for a while now, and I think, you know, the technology has been slowly being put out there. Manufacturers have still been pretty reluctant to let us get in, you know, a car. But I think in the next year, I'm going to get in an autonomous car on a proving ground somewhere, and um, that's what I'm really hoping for. And I think by the, I think by this time next year, we'll will definitely be a lot further in the autonomous
0: game. That's my my prediction. It's it's worth noting, you know, that Google has stayed out of this controversy because their idea is a fully autonomous car, even without a steering wheel. And they've not wanted to let anybody really do anything in one, uh, certainly not uh, customers, until they have Mm -hmm. it completely figured out where everybody else is sort of rushing. Electric cars, Uh, by this time next year, we'll have driven the heck out of a Chevy Volt, and uh, the the Tesla cheap car will be right on the horizon. There'll be a a new Leaf that'll probably have a 200-mile range like the Bolt. The 200-mile electric car, affordable, whatever you want that to mean, let's say under $50,000, do you think that's going to finally make electric cars something that the average person might be interested in?
2: If gas were still four dollars a gallon, yeah, but with oh, yeah. currently like one ninety five here and in, in our town, uh, I don't see it. Uh, people yeah. rushing out to buy them.
3: Yeah. I think they'll be a bit more popular. Certainly, if if they can keep driving the price down, more and more people who are sort of, you know, environmentally conscious but don't want to commit to buying a car that gets them a hundred miles max on a charge, or they want to spend seventy grand and get a car that can you can drive three hundred miles, but um, you know, you don't have that money. I think if you can drive it down and offer a good range, I mean, I think a lot more people would be, you know, on board. They'd be like, yeah, you know, do something good for the environment, plus it's kind of cheap, and mm-hmm. it's easy to fill up and charge, and it gets me where I need to go. Yeah,
0: you know, we always try and start our, our first show of the season with something that's ultra exciting, and um, this year we've come up with something that's a little different. Uh, we're no stranger to car comparisons, but this is not your typical car comparison. Um, we have access to a legendary Porsche 959, and we came up with the idea of just how far has uh, Porsche uh, come with their, their, shall we say, normal vehicles uh, since the 959, and uh, Porsche loaned us a 911 Turbo S. The kind of drive side by side not so much a comparison and that's going to be on the first show and that looks pretty exciting to me now two of the members of this table were probably uh, close to being in diapers uh, when uh, three and three including Lauren uh, when the 959 came out but what do you think of uh, the current Porsche versus your limited exposure to the 959 at least what it's supposed to be? Brian, let me start. Well, with you. You've I had limited the most
2: experience. Well, I had limited exposure in both. I didn't really get much time in the Turbo S, but um, it's kind of uh, anticlimactic since all Porsche 911s are turbos now. So I'm not sure that the turbo is what it uh, always has been, but uh,
0: not as vaulted as it always um, was.
2: Correct. But like I said, I didn't really get a chance to drive it. Uh, I don't know, all the numbers are there. It looks legit. Uh, you probably know more than me, Greg.
4: Yeah. Um as far as driving goes, I mean, I didn't get a ton of time actually driving the 959. As you can imagine, it's not something you want to be driving a ton. It's a museum a piece. Ton, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think one of the cool things that I noticed just looking at the two cars side by side is the cues that were taken that have survived the, you know, almost 30 years Mm -hmm. since the 959 came out. You're like, oh, look at that. That's almost exactly the same, the way that venting is. Or look at this and look at that. So we've got some really cool shots of both cars side by side. That's just really cool to watch the evolution of how some things have changed, some things have stayed the same. Um, But it's just amazing the technology that was in that 959 in 87. I mean, it's just... it's And now it's kind of like ordinary. Yeah, but... well, Or or passe, even. You're you're right, but there's... But if if you're thinking of it in the context of the time when that car came out, I mean, it had an electronically controlled suspension. Right. It had a six-speed manual transmission. It had all of these things. It, it was actually um, water-cooled heads at a time where they didn't water-cool anything. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, it's just it's a really cool comparison, just because these are two cars that are really at the top of the game in terms of just technology. And um, you know, being able to, to really thrash them on a the track.
0: Actually, I misspoke. Misspoke. Three of the members of our uh, podcast today weren't even born when the nine five nine was out. Mm-hmm. Lauren, you, I was just born. you you pardon?
3: I was just born. Just born. <laughs> I was born. Um,
0: <laughs> you actually uh, have something special that you're doing uh, with Porsche, which gets away from any one particular car, but has more to do with the whole experience of owning a Porsche. Tell us about that upcoming segment.
1: Oh, the Porsche Drive Experience in Atlanta, Uh, I went down to Atlanta to their, it's called the Porsche Experience Center, the PEC, Um, and it's pretty much a purpose-built track just to, they have a fleet of about uh, 80 vehicles, Um, we're talking, I drove a 911 Carrera S, there's Boxters, there's, uh, I mean, Panameras, there's, they have a whole fleet, essentially, that you can take out on this, it's just about a two-mile a uh, two-mile-wide track, and they have modules um, within this track that you can, you know, drive Porsches, push them to the limit. Uh, whether you own a Porsche, you can't bring your own car out, um, but you can pretty much burn all the rubber on their tires and all, you know, uh, use their brakes. I mean, for about $300, prices start for a 90-minute drive. Um, on these modules in Atlanta, and I'm not even... I could talk this whole podcast about it. Um, It was an awesome, awesome experience. The drivers, the drive instructors that I rode with, um, it's really just a chance, essentially, to get into a Porsche and push it to the limit, doing stuff you would never do on the open roads. This isn't really a track built for speed, so if you're looking for something like that, you'd probably go to, like, Barber Motorsports. Porsche has a drive school over there in Birmingham. But this is more... Of like a handling circuit. So there's a kick plate, which um, is essentially an epoxy surface that you drive over and kind of just slide your car out of control and try to correct it. Um, there's, like I said, different handling circuits. There's seven different modules all over this entire course. And it was, I felt like I was at Disney World the whole, the whole time I was there. It was so fun.
0: Other manufacturers, of course, BMW, most notable, have had uh, tracks where you can try out either your own car or a car like your own car for a long time. Do you think, though, this particular experience is aimed at porsche owners so they can find out what their car is capable of are they using it as a sales tool to get you into a porsche in the first place what what do you think is like the what's behind this besides just having an experience like some other brands have had
1: yeah so i talked to a couple other people who were there driving that day and some of them said that they were kind of comparing and contrasting like they were thinking about maybe getting a boxer boxer but also Wanted, you know, to try out the 911 Carrera S, and so they wanted to compare and contrast the two vehicles. They were on the fence about which ones to get. Other people I talked to, you know, they they love Porsche. They're all about Porsches, but they're never going to be able to afford one. And so this is a way to get in a vehicle. Um, So I mean, I think it really it really just depends. Um, I was talking, you know, with the the PR people that I was working with at Porsche, and they said they get. You know, a whole bunch of people, people who own their own Porsches but don't want to push it to the limit, sure. you know, on the open road and want to come out and, you know, really drive a Porsche um, and just use one of their vehicles. And so it's it's kind of a, a mixture, I would say, you know, people who go who out there.
0: Sounds like a great segment. And uh, along with everything else we have coming up for Season 36, I think we can easily tell our viewers – You know, just because we've been around for a while doesn't mean that we've lost our uh, penchant for looking for exciting and informative uh, drives. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks, everybody. Let's move on to... Uh, two vehicles in these waning days of summer that I think captivated a lot of us and captivated. it's gotten a lot of attention. We've recently had in here at work uh, the new Fiat 124 Spider, which, of course, is a Fiat built by Mazda on the chassis of the MX-5 Miata. We had a chance to see them side by side. They're not the same vehicle, you know, as far as personality-wise. How would you compare and contrast the two of them?
2: All uh, right. Uh, I feel like we've done this a lot already. We but, did in uh, the office a lot. Yeah. the uh, I mean, the looks are clearly different, especially the exterior. Uh, the Fiat 124, you know, obviously looks more Italian. It's and it has of, a little
0: bit of that classic uh, original 124 look about it.
2: Absolutely. It's got a little more trunk back
0: there. Interiors are exactly the same. Um, engine the, wise, you've got two t- different engines. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Fiat jump, engine jump versus in the Mazda mm-hmm. engine. I will G- jump Give me in contrast here. and compare. Yeah,
4: so the uh, the, the Fiat uses that one point four liter multi air turbo, and the Mazda still uses a or uses a two liter sky active. Um I, I'd say they um, they're actually very they're similar in power. The actually the Fiat actually has more torque, and I believe a little bit more horsepower. But in my opinion, in my experience driving both of them, it's kind of negated because the Fiat's actually about 100 pounds heavier.
0: Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think it had any particular – you felt like it was it was a higher revving engine, yep. and you felt like you might have gotten off to a little bit quicker start, well, but we didn't really see any difference. Well,
4: yeah, it's, it's – um, when a car weighs that little, 100 pounds is a lot. So yeah um it, it's it's turbocharged so I felt like it I don't think it did it rev as high as the uh as the naturally
2: aspirated one i don't know and we had an it automatic it seemed like it
0: spun up quicker yeah we had an automatic so i've never even
2: driven so. an automatic miata so i don't even know what the I have manual <laughs> 124 uh would be like so it wasn't exactly apples to apples but mm. uh, i'm not
4: sure i think in terms of actual well driving dynamics suspension wise the maz is more frantic mm. and the fiat's more of like a cruiser not to say mm. that it doesn't have that Classic roadster feel to it, but if you drive them back to back, you will notice a more it's maybe a more leg dash suspension. Exactly, yeah. right, right.
0: I I couldn't agree with you more. I, having of course owned a, a a long time ago a Miata, I th- when I looked at them side by side, I, I agree with what everyone said. You've got the Fiat, which looks a little tamer because the current uh, MX-5 actually has that mean look about it. That's pretty much across. Well, is across all of Mazda products. Um. I thought the ride was substantially um, more compl- uh, – compliance the wrong word – smoother, uh, maybe uh, even plusher mm-hmm. in the 124, although it's hardly a luxury car. Um uh, not to put too fine a point on it, I think uh, older buyers might be pointed to a little more towards the 124, and younger buyers might be pointed towards uh, the MX-5. They felt like different cars uh, for the most part, I thought. Lauren, you uh, were still uh, up here in your office yeah. when we had the 124 in, and you saw the MX-5. Any comments? Are they the perfect I mean, I drew- perfect pair for Florida?
1: I was going to say, I wish I had this writer down here to – drop the top down and ride on the be- you know, ride back to the beach. But I only drove the the Spider. I didn't get to drive the Mazda. Um, but yeah, it's a perfect cruising vehicle. If I, if I only had it down here at the top down, that'd be, that'd be great.
0: So either, if you had a choice to buy one, which would you buy? My money's for Miata.
2: Good with the original. It always works out better.
0: If you were buying a car that you and your Significant other, we're going
4: to drive? We just still feel the same? That's a yeah? good question. I would, yeah. Yeah. If we like split the time down the middle, I'd probably have a harder time justifying the Miata, honestly, because I know for a fact that my wife likes the Fiat, just likes the idea of a Fiat more. Huh. Um, but I, would try, just, I would try as hard as I could to try and get the Miata, but I might actually lose. My wife liked the look of the 124 a lot better, and she
0: liked the ride of it better. So I have a feeling if that came to our choice, that would be the way we'd go. Although I, I must say I'd insist on getting a manual, not the automatic yeah. we
4: Well, the Well, um, I drove the Fiat manual, the Abarth manual, and I can't remember because that actually uses the previous Miata transmission. Mm-hmm. So they don't – they're actually – again, even if you drove a – a new Miata manual and a new Fiat manual. Not the they're, not, they're still not apples to apples. Okay, let's move
0: on to our lightning round. Two minutes to talk Sweet. topics. Um, it is the end of summer. Uh, in many places, it's still hot like summertime. And, unfortunately, this year, there's been a record number of heat-related deaths in vehicles among uh, children and infants and even pets. We're we'll bring up a downer. Um, I know. Well, he asked bring for topics. We like to talk about things that are in the news. What do you think of the efforts by manufacturers to prevent infant-child uh, pet deaths in overheated vehicles? And I'm primarily talking about things like warnings. We have the new GMC Acadian here that's got a backseat, uh, check your back seat warning is it just more you know nannyism uh is this a real problem
4: how do you think what do you think manufacturers should do or not do i honestly when i read this i didn't know of anything that manufacturers were doing to nor did to, i to, to to thwart this but i think has this really become more of a problem or are we just more aware to it because there's more voice to activists who don't like seeing It's on the evening news. Right. So it's, I mean, what, maybe a better question would be like, what could be done? At what
0: point do we have to say, do we say people are such idiots, we have to think for them? Are we there? Basically?
2: We're
3: certainly heading that direction. Oh, I know Robinson. Yeah. No, I got nothing. I,
2: yeah, I'm trying to stay out of this one.
3: Um,
0: well, I remember when the when ch- children were getting locked in trunks, right? You know, I mean that wasn't a whole lot different than what this is. Um, that,
2: well, that was more of an issue of kids climbing in yeah, cars and, and, and closing the trunk on themselves. and closing themselves in there. It wasn't a matter of mom driving somewhere different that day, forgetting she has the kid in the car, and then going into work, leaving her kid in the but car. But we
0: had, had an along. uproar, and it ended up with federal regulations, and we all have new cars now have, you know, releases in the trunk. Are we going... Is that going to happen again?
3: I, I, I don't know if it's going to happen again. I can't predict the future, um, although I certainly... Uh, try. I think you can. Um, you can. Hold on. Get your <laughs> we need a crystal ball I here. Nothing. <laughs> I got nothing. Um, I think that more... Now, more so than ever, people are a lot more distracted, a lot more easily distracted, and, I mean, maybe it is being too nanny-like or whatever, too overbearing, but maybe... A little reminder when you get out of your car. Like, you know, instead of, you know, how like Kias don't and Hyundais. Your <laughs> don't forget your kids. Like,
4: <laughs> don't Hyundai forget your keys. Like, don't forget your kids.
3: They say so, like, oh, goodbye. But, like when you turn off the car, maybe it's like, hey, check your backseat. Right. Hey. But if
2: you've seen that every day for a year, is it you really going to, no, right? yeah, yeah, just just going to
4: register? Yeah. And not to only that, how often does somebody really forget that the kid's back there? Sometimes right? yeah, it's like on purpose. You're staying back here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, the
0: GMC system, the way it was triggered is if you open the back seat, open the rear door, and then got in and started the vehicle, when you turn the vehicle off, the last thing we'll do is flash up this warning. Uh, I was surprised to see it. I did take notice of it. And I guess on balance, I think it's a good thing. I'm just sorry that we have to resort to something like that. At least like they that. can say they did I, something. I- Yes, go ahead, Lauren.
1: I, G- I went on that GMC Acadia driver uh, preview, press preview, and, I mean, they did a whole presentation about their rear seat reminder. I mean, I think it's a good idea. If I mean, they gave a stat, you know, okay, 40 kids die per year after being left in the car. But this little reminder, I mean, I think it's worth it. You can turn it off if you don't want it. You can disable it. If I don't have kids. I don't have pets. I wouldn't want it. You can disable it. I mean, for the parents who you know, even remotely think that's a possibility, just leave it on. I mean, I think if a stupid reminder prevents 40 kids from dying in the backseat of a car, why not, you know?
0: if it prevents one kid from dying. And it's unintrusive. You know, it's not like it's trying to jerk the steering wheel out of your hand or something.
1: It's like three beeps, and it, like, flashes on your dashboard. Um, I like it because I've seen some where it's like, dependent on the weight in the back seat so if you put like a purse or a suitcase or something in the back seat then it goes off so that's kind of annoying but I mean I like the fact with the Acadia it's dependent on if you open the rear doors but it's also saying you know say you open your rear doors to get your kids in the back seat and you were going to drop them off at school you don't turn off the vehicle they just get out at the carpool when you turn your car off it's going to be even though your kids have left but I mean, it just reminds you, turn your neck, look back, they're not there. I think it's a simple tool that, you know, yeah, like we said, if it saved one kid, why not? If you don't want it, turn it off on your car.
0: Well said, and we'll end it there. Okay, we have a viewer question. Andrew asked, after restoring foggy car headlights, how long does it take for them to be foggy again? Well, my question, Andrew, is how long did it take them to get foggy in the first place?
2: Well, are we talking about like interior fog, or are we talking about the yellowing? The yellowing yeah, of yeah, the headlight yeah. lenses.
4: Yeah. Uh, I actually just did um, did a set of headlights, and uh, they come depending on what kind of kit you get. They'll come with a like a wax or a sealant mm-hmm. to go over it. So I mean, it's, it's I'm not going to say it's never going to happen again, but if you want to increase your chances and you're going to do it yourself, make sure you just put that sealant to on top of it. It'll at least give it a little bit of extra protection. But I would say you have at least You've got a good amount of time. It's not going to be like hey, three to five. In, f- three to five years before there's any
0: degradation right, right. Like when it ori-
3: originally comes on, and then you take it off. You're essentially scraping scraping off, off a, a little layer. bit of an extra layer than what was originally there. So would it? Is it going to happen faster? I think that's what he's trying to ask. I've heard that right? it does. Yeah. yeah, It would come back faster? I'm yeah.
0: sure there was some kind of a sealant on there just yeah. as part of the chemical yeah. process to start with. So. I think
2: it depends on where you live, too. I would think if you're in a sandy environment mm-hmm. where your front end is constantly getting pelted with uh, sand and stuff like that, I think they would pit uh sooner
0: uh if you are in a hot uh coastal environment, they dull uh quicker from my experience yeah. i've seen people when you when you go to the beach, you drive up and down and you see people you know that live there and it seems like a two and three year old car's got you know, foggy headlights. So. so, Andrew, I think our answer is probably within a few years. But if you're, the kit uh, has a sealant in it, make sure you use it. And probably there's probably some other sealants out there that, oh, after, yeah. after the fact, that maybe the, the best thing is to just keep them up, not just to walk away from them and say zero maintenance. Probably okay. Rant and rave time. Anyone? Anyone got something that they really want to get off their chest well, that
4: uh, is bothering them about
0: s- other drivers, about the cars, about the world we
4: live in? What? Uh, we'll just give people's thoughts on uh, Pokemon Go as it
3: relates to. <laughs> and he looks immediately driving. to me. <laughs>
4: Well, you're the one who is playing
0: it. You Are know, you so. playing and
3: not playing it right saying, now?
1: I saw Patrick in the parking lot playing Pokemon Go as he was walking into work.
3: As so, I was walking into work, I wasn't driving. Don't mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's the number
4: driving. one thing. Don't play while driving. See, but what he doesn't tell you was he was blindly walking across the street. Yeah, exactly. looking like, down at both
0: street. ways. What'd you
4: say? I look- Lauren.
1: I that's what I was going to say. He wasn't driving, but he was he's not paying attention in the crosswalk. <laughs> wow.
2: Patrick. <laughs>
4: Uh, I was right. just kidding. I didn't know it
2: was a real thing. Now I'm <laughs> disciplining you, Patrick. Uh, no, no, I look, Patrick.
3: I look both. I look both ways when I cross the street. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, it's going to be a thing. Like, I mean, do you really want to talk about it? Yeah, I'd <laughs> sure. like to talk about it's it. It's going to be I a mean. thing like texting. I mean, it's whatever. People, people are going to do it. When so they're people driving. can handle it. Well, so how long? You, they're going to be stupid about it. How long it. do you think this will last? I know. I, I don't think the game is going to be popular for much longer. I mean, I think people will play it, but and then it'll just be like anything else. It'd be like. Finding music on your phone or responding is, to a message on your phone. Is there I mean, any
4: kind of disclaimer that says, like, don't do it while you're driving? Yes. Yeah, Does soon it as know one? Because
3: it's got a. As soon as you open up the app, it says, do not trespass or do not drive <laughs> and play.
4: You would think, like, maybe after a certain speed, you wouldn't be able to even access it. I don't know. Uh, To taking this one step further,
0: uh, my rant and rave has to do with people totally ignoring the don't use your cell phone while driving laws. I mean, you know, when when they passed all these laws, I knew that it was for naught because uh, police departments just don't have the time to go out there and police this stuff. And and everybody and their brothers using them and they've got tinted windshields so you can't have the time to see somebody in the car. Do you think cell phones should be somehow deactivated or limited in use while you're driving. That's been proposed, but nobody much talks about it anymore, and I think it's because of security concerns. But what do you think? Should what? there somehow be a restriction on your cell phone when you're driving? Logistically, though, like yeah, what about everybody who's not driving right. in the car? yeah. So, I mean, I think that's why you don't hear about it. Right. Yeah. You, you need them really. to do it, so you don't
2: have to. And yeah. yeah, you can't totally shut them it
0: down. Is you know our voice activation systems uh, through your car? Is that the answer? I still find myself when I'm using those, paying attention to what I'm saying and not driving.
3: Maybe. Uh Autonomous driving isn't such a bad thing after all. Hmm. If people are going to be this distracted behind the wheel. Patrick, Patrick. Maybe we no, need the computers to know. take
0: over. Lord, what a world we live in. And with that, let's wrap up this uh, first uh, motory podcast of our 36th season. I want to thank everybody, including Brian Robinson, our writer-producer, our online content coordinator, Patrick Lucas, assistant Pokemon-o. producer, <laughs> Craig it's Carlos, FYI reporter, Lauren Morrison, down in Florida, audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, podcast creator, Bob Mixter, and of course, uh, Patrick again for being the podcast Once producer. Again, Patrick. Thank you all for joining us. And be sure to watch Motor Week on your public television station just about everywhere. And if you miss us there, switch over to Velocity uh, on Tuesday nights at 7.30 Eastern and catch us there. I'm John Davis for all of us at Motor Week. Thanks very much for being a part of the Motor Week experience. You have been listening to the podcast of Motor Week television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com and by BrockAuto.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest running automotive magazine series each week on your local PBS station.